parte Florenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa che da go! Go! il magnifico, il magnifico, il magnifico rettore! Live! Boom, boom, shake, shake, In the entertainment capital of the world! What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! The TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but. Oh, C'est la folie. C'est la folie. Une minute de dingue. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. TC Martin. Largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol. is now in hello everybody welcome to the tc martin show this is earthquake checking in with you on this black friday tc and frank are taking another day off they're going to be back on monday live at two o'clock two to four Check out tcmartinshow.com for any of your past episodes or past interviews. In the meantime, we have a best of episode for you. We have some great interviews from some of our favorite guests. Hope you guys enjoy. Have a great weekend. We'll see you guys back live 2 to 4 p.m. Monday with TC Martin and Ballpark Frank. And one of our good friends and regulars here on the program taking some time out of uh, training today to come on by and join us like uh, he occasionally does on Fridays. Always a pleasure with the two-time welterweight champion of the world, Showtime Sean Porter in the house. What's going on, my man? TC, I love being able to say sports are back. Yes. I love it. Yes. And everything is going. That's true. Going smoothly at this point, too. It's true. Yeah. It's true. We have Showtime Sean Porter in the house, the two-time welterweight champion, coming off his victory. And I know, Sean, that we actually talked to you right after your fight that took place last month. But to uh, you know, have you back here in person at the Cosmopolitan, I do want to touch again, defeated uh, Sebastian Formella. Uh, you pitched a shutout. It was a flawless fight. It was nationally televised on Fox, 120-108 on all judges' scorecards. This, I know it, it wasn't a tune-up fight for you, but it had the presence, the way you performed so well as a tune-up fight. Talk to us about why you took that fight, another W under your belt. Well, it's funny. I, I don't remember the last time I pitched a shutout. <laughs> but the thing about it is when you're fighting at such a high level, everyone's at that high level. Yeah. So it's very, very difficult to pitch a shutout. So... We were in a situation where I wanted to get back in the ring. I consider myself to be an uh, uh, advocate of the sport, and, and I just wanted to uh, represent the sport the best way I could. And knowing that boxing essentially was just, just coming back, I wanted to be one of the first big-name guys to get back in the ring and really display not only what I have but what the sport has, continue to watch, continue to look forward to what's coming up. And uh, for Sebastian Formella who we found. Uh, undefeated kid from Germany. Uh, nobody else with the name wants to even fight in the ring in right. a in, in stadium with no fans. So uh, I understood what I was up against in, in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of or, or lack thereof, you know, fighting at uh, Staples Center with 
7,000, 8,000 fans, I think, last time yeah. I fought there. Yeah. So we um, I, I understood fully what I was up against, but to me, it, made, it, meant, it, was, it meant more to get back in the ring and show people what was on Fox and, and what was coming up next, not only for me, but from the sport. All right, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but you touched on a point that I'd like to ask you here. And again, you don't have to divulge in, any numbers, but sure. we know that we're not seeing a lot of these big-time fights because you need a huge live gate. Mm-hmm. The Wilder Fury is a perfect example of that. Yeah. That you know They had a $17 million live gate last, last time they were here in Vegas, mm-hmm. and you're not going to see that fight until you can sell tickets. Yep. And so a lot of the big-name fighters are, are, are not fighting because the promoters really can't afford to pay them their purse. When it came time to you to negotiate your purse for this fight, knowing there was not going to be a live gate, how, how much of a difference was it? Did you get close to what you would normally get, or did you did they ask you did you have to take a pay cut? Well, it was funny because that that really was the first conversation. Okay, right. Sean Porter wants to get back in the ring. Oh, he does. Let me call you back. Calls me back. We can get you back in the ring, but understand. It's not going to be what we agreed it would be after your last fight. So we understood what it was going to be going into the ring. But a lot of these guys, first of all, they don't want to fight in an empty stadium. Not only that, a lot of these fighters understand that in order for them to get paid what they want to get paid, there has to be that walk-up ticket sale. Right. Uh, Guys like Danny Garcia and Errol Spence Jr., they're waiting until November to get back in the ring in the hopes that we'll be able to see at least – half the stadium, 2,000, 3,000 fans, and they'll make it up on the back end somehow, some way, obviously pay-per-view. And then uh, you you have other situations where, again, Tyson Fury Fury and Deontay Wilder, they're not slated to get back into the ring until possibly December. Where before before COVID, they were expected to get back in the ring in June or July, something like that, you know, so they're purposely waiting until that they can until they can get the walk up crowd because they know that that is the only way they're going to be able to make the money that they wanted to make. So Mm -hmm. for me, I think more than anything, it was just putting um, my priorities into place and me understanding, hey, I'm going to take a cut in my pay, but I'm gaining a fan base. I'm gaining more popularity. Mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I'm. I'm pushing the sport along, right. and that's what I want. And to you're do. staying active as well, too. And, of course, staying active. Right. You talked about the atmosphere of the not necessarily being the fans there, but I think some people would also be interested in knowing what was it like training for this fight because I know that there's talk that it's harder to get training partners, yeah. the COVID testing, getting gyms, getting all that kind of stuff. What was different about this training session preparing for this fight than fights that you had previously I, that, in this era of COVID? That's a great question. I think I have more one of the more interesting stories that could probably ever be told. But uh, the long story short is my dad hung up a boxing uh, bag in his backyard on a tree, told me to come over and start getting to work. I mean, I, I live like a casino away from my dad. I'm right next door to my dad, and we started out in the backyard. He says, who can we get to come in and spar with you? We need to, we need someone who can only not only give you good work, but someone who's healthy, and they're going to stay healthy while they're here. And uh, we, we beat our heads for a couple of weeks. While we were trying to figure that out, my dad says, you're going to spar with me. So I actually sparred with my dad for about three weeks until we started getting some actual sparring partners to come in and work with me. But I think when we started the training opposed to now, I think things were much more touchy. And we were, we were, it was a much more delicate situation. I think we handled it great. I think TC's ready to spar with you. He said he'd be very ready to volunteer. I tell you what, T, I think he would come in and at least 
give a valiant effort. Listen, you go. I got <laughs> speed, okay? I may not have the big power. I got the speed, okay? So there you go. <laughs> Showtime Sean Porter in the house. Okay, I know everybody has asked you already. Danny Garcia, Earl Spence, of course, you coming off that fight of the year mm-hmm. that we were at last year in yeah. the Staples Center. Yeah. It was a, a fantastic fight. The Earl Spence, Sean Porter fight should have been an immediate rematch. Yeah. Then Earl Spence, of course, unfortunately gets in that automobile accident. Earl Spence is now coming back to fight Danny Garcia. I'm not a fan of this fight. I don't think that Danny Garcia deserves (laughs) this shot. You beat Danny Garcia. But, lo and behold, marketing reasons, whatever, uh, Danny Garcia is fighting Earl Spence November the 21st. How do you see that fight? You know, I think Earl Spence chose Danny Garcia. I think thinking or feeling that Danny Garcia is the safest big name for him. Mm-hmm. I think that he thinks right now that getting back in the ring with me would be a hell of a night. Uh, Ter- uh, Terrence Crawford, hell of a night. Even Keith Thurman, Manny Pacquiao. Those nights would be too much for him to bear right now. I think right now with understanding that he has to get in the ring with a big name, but also understand who he is now, figure out who he is now, I think that's why he chose Danny Garcia. And in a lot of ways, I think it's up to Errol Spence Jr. how this fight's going to go. If Errol feels good after one round or two rounds, he's going to start to do the things that he, he's no, used to doing in the boxing ring. I, my, my biggest uh, advice to, to Danny Garcia is to go right at Errol Spence Jr. Don't allow him to get comfortable. Don't allow him to feel like Which he's he got it. Right. You know, right. uh, uh, make him be uneasy because of everything he's been through since September of last year. You know, so I do think that this is a fight that Errol Spence is going to win, but I don't think it's going to be easy. And I think that if Danny Garcia somehow makes any type of adjustment, is any more aggressive than he usually is, this could go his way. Conventional wisdom says that you are fighting the winner of that fight. Conventional. Is that <laughs> what can you give us on that? Uh, I, I'm, my fingers are crossed. I know by right I am the mandatory for the winner of the fight. I think that either rematch will be a great fight for TV, great fight for fight fans. Uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing who, who's going to win the fight. And I'm also looking forward to seeing how both guys look. Uh, I personally think that th- this is the last shot for Danny Garcia. He's two losses now. He's at the top. This is really the last time that he's got to really show that he has what it takes against a young, uh, vibrant uh, champion. He's lost to every young champion that he's been in the ring with. So, um, Outside of that, I'm also the mandatory for the IB, for the IB, uh, WBO right. championship title. All the alphabets. Yeah, yeah. all the alphabets. So, <laughs> actually, you, you'll appreciate this. Right. Name My name this year for my fantasy football team is Everybody's Mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that. I so, like that. I went for it with the understanding that every every week that I have a fantasy football, I'm everybody's mandatory in the yeah. sense that, you know, but also I'm, I'm carrying that mindset until yeah. I get my next fight. So, I mean, look at it. Yeah. Terrence Crawford, Earl Spence Jr., Danny Garcia, I, I feel like I'm in a win-win-win. And, and you mentioned Manny Pacquiao as well, too. Here's a guy that we haven't seen fight coming off a big win against Keith Thurman. Yeah. He was dying to get back in the ring. Yeah. And, He's and, and, the and Terrence Crawford is another guy that you mentioned. It's like the welterweight division was the most active and the most anticipated and the most highly grossing division 
we need to get you guys back in the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we got to get back in the ring, and we got to get back in the ring against each other. Uh, I think now we're, we're coming into an age where there's great stories to be told yeah. about every matchup that can be made. I mean, if, if we talk about Terrence Crawford, who is quote-unquote on the other side of the, of the fence, mm-hmm. we can talk about how he completely took over the 140-pound division, has come up to 147, grabbed the belt immediately, and he's still looking for a big fight, you know. So, I mean, all across the board, there's nothing but great action-packed fights in the welterweight division, which leads into other great fights around the world. And speaking of which, we'll get everyone's opinion on this. You know, we have news that is coming out that (laughs) Conor McGregor is tweeting out that he's going to fight Manny Pacquiao in a boxing match. Do we want to see this? I don't want to see it. I think that uh, this is that that pony ride's already been taken exactly. once. Exactly. Uh, pony ride, mother. dog and pony and, show. Yeah, and I, I just don't think it's the same. Uh, I have no desire to see it. I mean, uh, I think it's a joke. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he, he the lad, the fight against uh, Mayweather was exactly as predicted. I mean, that he'd fade and he did, and he, he showed a little flash for a little bit. But he's he's not a boxer, right. and uh, you can't take on the best boxers in the world. It's just done for money. That's all it is in publicity. It's a so. money grab. Yeah. Yeah. I love both sports, but they are different sports. And Conor McGregor, like Brian said, is not a boxer. I don't fault him for going after the money, though. If he can make more money in one boxing match, and he knows he's probably not going to get hurt necessarily, as opposed to five UFC fights, I understand why he would do that. But, Sean, as a boxer, how frustrating is that, that you look at a guy like him that can go in and have a boxing match and make this big payday? Because it kind of reminds me of when, when James Tony flipped over to UFC for one fight. He lost the fight. Everybody knew he was going to, but he got a nice payday, better than he was going to get in boxing at that time. Is it frustrating when you see guys that aren't really masters of the craft that can just walk in there and they're getting a fight that maybe you want or something like that, but they're putting on this three-ring circus, so to speak? I'll be honest with you. I just turn it off, especially in this case with uh, Conor McGregor going after now Manny Pacquiao. I personally, I have to turn it off. I saw the, 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 the entire event with Floyd Mayweather was fun. It was fun to be a part of. But still, at the same time, understanding that it's a one-sided fight that's for money. And when it's for money, I don't respect that as much as I respect the craft itself. So I really just turn my, 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 my eyes and my, and my back to it. And, and I walk away from it understanding that, hey, they got that opportunity because of money. You're not there because of money. But that's not where God wants you to be. So I just kind of continue to stay on my strip, my, my trail and, and, and wait for the next best thing for me, opposed to being mad or, or lashing out or trying to, you know, go out and pick its sign and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I do remember that with, May, with Mayweather and, and McGregor. People were talking about um, uh, cutting off the fight, trying to, trying to stop the fight from happening, you know. So I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to let it happen. I'm not surprised to hear that Manny Pacquiao wants to do this. I think that there's a part of Manny that wants to be a part of something big. And I think even though he's been a part of a lot of big things, I think he's still looking for... Manny wants to fight, and and he's still at the top of his game right now. I think a lot of this. Okay, final thing before we leave the boxing here. Who's the one guy you want to see fight? Aside from yourself, who do you want to... See, get in the ring here very, very soon. Very soon. I, I'm looking forward to that rematch with Tyson Fury yeah. and, and, and Deontay Wilder. Yeah. Outside of that, I mean, we, we got a list. Javante Davis. Give me one Leo guy Santa that Cruz. you want to see fight. Got to see. Uh, it will be Deontay Wilder. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll go off the different path. And you and I have talked about this before. I want to see Canelo fight. 
I mm-hmm. love watching Canelo fight, but there just doesn't seem to ha- be that opponent. I really don't exactly. want to see the Triple G fight again. Yeah. We, yeah. we saw no. the first one. Yeah. yeah, we saw the first two. Yeah, and uh, I, but again, Canelo doesn't have an. And here's a guy that you know signed that huge contract with DAZN, and DAZN's bleeding money now. But they just don't have an opponent for him. That's but my I thing. But I want to see Canelo get back in the ring again, yeah. at his peak. Yeah. Phenomenal, but there's no one who can contest with him. I know. That's the thing. So what do you do when you're? Do you go up to and stay at light heavyweight? <laughs> yeah, then, exactly. What you know, do you do? What do you do? Yeah. And he went to light heavyweight and, and beat Sergey Kovalev and handily. There's, there's some 160s and some 168s yeah. out there. I don't think he can come down, but maybe getting those guys to come up would be the best thing for him. Sean Porter going up to 168. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a big paycheck against Canelo. Absolutely I'll be not. your manager for that no. one. Uh-uh. 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 <laughs> You've got your own podcast out there now, too. Oh, We've yeah. got to promote that, the Let's Porter Way yeah. podcast. Yeah. Hey, quick story. Richard Schaefer, uh, during the press conference before I fought uh, Keith Thurman, he was introducing me at the press conference, and he says, Sean and his dad, they just have this way of doing things. He said, I've never seen anyone ever do it the way they've done it. They have, it's almost, it's the Porter Way, yeah. the way that they do everything. And that was 2016. And that moment and what he said stuck with me. And I got here and got into a situation where uh, my, my, my network television show inside PBC Boxing wasn't coming back. I grabbed a bunch of equipment and uh, two of my best friends, I said, hey, we can do this. Let's make it work. And uh, now I have the Portway Podcast. It, it airs uh, live on, on uh, not live, it shoots. Uh, we, we launch our, our next our new episode every Tuesday on YouTube and also uh, Apple Music as well as Spotify. We're looking forward to that. The Boom. Porterway Podcast. You caught me off guard, man. It's my first time really having to promote it. <laughs> having a promo. <laughs> Tell you we're going to take care of you, yeah, man. Yeah, I appreciate that, plain, man. Plain and simple. Yeah. All right, brother. We appreciate you hanging, man. Yes, sir. Re- be, miss you, man. Oh, miss you, too. Yeah. I'm just glad that uh, you could take some time out. Yes, sir. And we want to see you back in the ring because yes, when sir. we saw you about four or five weeks ago, you were flawless. Thank you. Thank, and, you, uh, thank you. And that's what we uh, come to expect with uh, Showtime Sean Porter. And uh, hopefully we will see the winner of Danny Garcia and Earl Spence against Showtime Sean Porter. You got it. That's what we expect to see. That's what we all expect. You got it. (laughs) All right, brother. And good luck with your Browns, too. Thank you, man. All right. And your fantasy team? Are you 3-0? Are you going to be 3-0? I'm going to be 3-0. Okay. Go for it. All right. (laughs) I want to thank Showtime Sean Porter for joining us here today. Nashville hot chicken, bold pork sandwiches, award-winning Vietnamese wings, and plenty of ice-cold craft brews. Just a taste of what you'll find at Block 16 Urban Food Hall at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Six hand-picked restaurants from foodie capitals across the country. Fresh flavors, world-renowned chefs, and a lively atmosphere draw you in. From donuts to hand rolls to everything in between, grab, go, and get back to the game. Block 16 Urban Food Hall at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Paul, after homework, time to do chores. I'm tired, Dad. Can I please do them later? Yeah, that's fine, and I'll take a selfie with my Freddy's Steak Burger. What? You're going to Freddy's? Yes. I'm done, Dad. I'd do anything to go to Freddy's. Freddy's Frozen Custard Steak Burgers, now with four locations in the Valley. Two in Henderson on Warm Springs and Julia Road, and Eastern near Silverado Ranch, and two in Las Vegas at Charleston and Decatur, and its newest location on Rainbow and Russell. Freddy's, the taste that brings you back. Betting has never been easier, and you can earn free money when you sign up today for a new William Hill Nevada mobile sports account. Earn a $50 bonus when you deposit $50 or more using promo code TC50. That's promo code TC50. 
The William Hill Nevada Mobile Sports app allows you to bet from any iPhone, iPad, or Android device anywhere in Nevada. With the largest wagering menu, the Mobile Sports app features live in-play betting as well. Sign up today. For more information, visit williamhill.us. That's williamhill.us. This is T.C. Martin, and there is no better time to get your carpets clean than now, and that means it's time to call Zero Res. Vote of the best in Las Vegas. Zero Res is the only carpet clean service I use. The results are amazing. They clean and disinfect all areas of your home using their patented power water system. And most importantly, they are safe. No one cleans like Zero Res. They deep clean all surfaces, including carpets, rugs, tile, and upholstery. They are the most trusted carpet cleaner in Las Vegas. Plus, the deals are amazing. Call now and ask for the T.C. Martin Special. Three rooms of carpet for only $99, plus free tile cleaning of up to 100 square feet. Your home will never look better. Make that appointment and save. Call or go to ZeroRes.com. That's Z-E-R-O-R-E-Z.com. Call 840-3333. This is T.C. Martin. And Ballpark Frank. We are off today. You're getting the best of the T.C. Martin show, but we will be back on Monday. But if you've been suffering from a turkey coma this weekend, join us Monday 2 to 4, T.C. Martin Show, tcmartinshow.com. Gobble, gobble. All right, let's talk a little (laughs) college football and the NFL with our good friend from ESPN. Of course, you can usually see him doing his thing with his X's and O's, usually on uh, Fridays on SportsCenter. And, of course, a fantastic job all the time. 15-time Emmy Award winner Trevor Maddich. What is going on, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great, TC. Hey, one more thing, though. Yes. Uh, In case you were looking, uh, SportsCenter at 6 o'clock Eastern time has had me picking games. Uh, over the course of the season, against the spread, oh. I'm fifteen and three. Wait a fifteen and three. We got to get you in our best bets three. then on a regular basis. Then, my friend, I mean, this is it. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not that good. I'm not sure what's going on, but uh, but and I don't call anybody. You know, I mean, I, I probably should be calling you, asking for inside info. I'm just I'm just looking at what the matchups should look like, how it should play out, and lo and behold, so far it's played out that way. Now, other years. It's played out completely differently from what it should have done, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Yay me! I yay you big time, exactly. And again, you know, there's a handicapping is a big part of uh, this show. So let's let's tap into Trevor Maddich's uh, picks as well. We'll help each other out, brother. There you go. I'm, I'm, hey. Now those are all college picks that you're doing too on Sports Center, correct? Yeah, yeah. These are all college picks. Yeah. All right. All right, Trevor Maddich, uh, breaking it down. Let's start with Clemson and Florida State. The game postponed last Saturday. The excuse was there was one positive test on the Clemson roster. Dabo Sweeney says, I am not hearing any of this. Dabo Sweeney had some, some lightning words today. Let's hear from Dabo. This game was not canceled because of COVID. COVID was just an excuse to cancel the game. And to be honest with you, I don't think it has anything to do with their players. I have no doubt that their players wanted to play and would have played. And same with the coaches. To me, the Florida State administration forfeited the game. And if they want to play Clemson, in my opinion, they need to come to Clemson or they need to pay for all expenses. Other than that, there's no reason for us to play it. We were there, we were ready, and we met the standards. 
Despite this being a 35-point favorite last Saturday, Clemson over Florida State, Trevor, I was really excited to see Clemson because I wanted to see how they were going to respond off of the bye week and then coming off that Notre Dame loss and then the return of Trevor Lawrence. We didn't get a chance to see any of it. I thought it was rather strange because I wake up Saturday morning and I get the news about two and a half hours before kickoff that this game was not going to get played, that it was postponed. And they traveled there, they're ready to go, and no game. So give us your thoughts about that when you heard about the postponement and then Dabo's comments. Yeah, here's what happened. The the Clemson had a player, a backup offensive lineman, who had had some mild symptoms during the week. So he tested negative, then he tested negative again. So they had him practice, uh, but maintaining distance and wearing a mask and stuff like that at the end of the week. Uh, he still had not had a positive test, so they took their last test before leaving. He got on the plane with his teammates. They had the normal distancing and masks on the plane. And when they arrived in Tallahassee, word came back that his test came back positive. So that was the catalyst. And Florida State, because of that, in what they say is an abundance of caution, said that they don't want to play, and they, they canceled the game. And that's where Dabo Sweeney, the Clemson coach, pitched a fit. And I thought it was really interesting that Dabo went as far as he did. I mean, ordinarily, what you do is, is say, look, we wanted to play. We were ready to go. They made a decision. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. But he wouldn't let it go. He hammered that thing. And the thing I, I was thinking was I, I don't know Dabo Sweeney, in my experience, as being a guy who gets emotional about something and then pops off and says something he regrets later. He's always got a reason. And – when he first came to national attention, he was aw shucks Dabo. He was just the good old Southern guy that, you know, we're back on the Gus bus and don't worry about us. We're just little old Clemson. Then last year we saw a different Dabo. He was angry Dabo because early in the season, Trevor Lawrence appeared to have struggled a bit and teams were, uh, reporters were asking what's wrong with Trevor. Why are you guys not blowing teams out like you're supposed to, even though you're winning? And Dabo pitched a fit and he went off and we saw angry Dabo all season. And now we're seeing ultra-angry Dabo. But I kind of think that in the case of angry Dabo, last year it was because he was making a, sending a message to his team that they need to be more angry. And a team is a reflection of, of their coach. And I think he was doing that because I think some guys on the team last year were, uh, were kind of complacent and riding on the coattails of the team before. And in this team, I thought it was like Nick Saban Dabo this year, just listening to him talk and the way he was treating the media, and now he's ultra-angry Dabo. I think he may be doing the same thing. He's talking to his players, to coaches, to Heisman voters who are wondering when they're ever going to see Trevor Lawrence again. He's probably talking to recruits, uh, the committee. And so I think there's method to his madness. I don't think he just got emotional. Now, having said that, it does help Florida State to not play this game. If you put the, the finances aside, it helps Florida State because the Seminoles right now are not necessarily a rebuilding project. They're more like an expansion team starting from zero. I mean, they've had a ton of key injuries. They've had a bunch of guys opt out midseason. They are in terrible shape right now, and they are not in position to give Clemson any kind of a fight. They'd have lost that game 150 to nothing, and that would just further demoralize the program. It would further demoralize recruits. Uh, it would have been a terrible thing. So I'm not saying they did this on purpose, but it is interesting that uh, it does help them uh, to make this decision. Same way with LSU, by the way. LSU 
uh, ended up with a couple of COVID uh, positives and some things that they were worried about in terms of contact tracing. So they canceled the game with uh, Alabama. Well, they do recruit directly against Alabama, and they would have lost that game 150 to nothing. Uh, and it just so happened that, hey, they couldn't play. Now, I'm not saying that it was not on the up and up. I'm just saying that, that as it turned out, it was probably good for them. They also had a game against Florida postponed, and that game was likely to get canceled too because of scheduling issues leading into the uh, SEC championship game. So that means LSU, as much as they struggled this year, had two top five or top six teams taken off the schedule because of COVID. USC, because of COVID, lost games against Alabama and Notre Dame, AP number one and number two. So it kind of helped them, too, a little bit, because they have a chance to sweep and go undefeated, whereas they wouldn't have been able to against that other schedule. So I'm not saying COVID's a good thing. Uh, I'm not saying that Florida State did this intentionally. I just think it's really interesting uh, the way things play out, and if you're a conspiracy theorist, directions that you might be able to go. And you, the way college football is right now, where there is no governing body, conferences or schools are making these decisions on their own, I don't blame Dabo Sweeney at all. As a matter of fact, I think it's pretty refreshing, Trevor, to hear him say what he's saying. And I was thinking the exact same thing what you just said about this is Alabama Nick Saban-esque. It is. And because Clemson is on that same level as Alabama, maybe not the long-term success that the Crimson Tide have had over years and years, but when you think of the top of college football, it's Clemson and Alabama. It could be 1 and 1A. One it could be reversed with those two schools. But I feel it as it's frustration with Dabo Sweeney for these things. One is they want to get back on the field. Now it's going to be three weeks since – they played Notre Dame. The world got to see them be a little bit vulnerable. They haven't seen Trevor Lawrence for about five weeks, and they want to get that L out of their system, and they want America to be able to see this team. And they were going to be in a very good situation, probably paced Florida State big time last weekend, and now they're not getting that opportunity. They want to play. They need to play. And this is, I think, Dabo Sweeney saying, hey, we don't want people to forget about us. You know, they need to see us and let my quarterback show you why he still could be a Heisman Trophy candidate. Right, and that's a big deal. I mean, coaches don't necessarily coach for the, for the Heisman Trophy. At least they say they don't. But it's a feather in their cap to say they have coached a Heisman winner, and it's a thing they can tell recruits. Hey, come here. You can go to the NFL. You can win the Heisman Trophy. That's a big deal, especially when you're recruiting against Alabama, who has had, you know, Derrick Henry won the Heisman Trophy. I mean, you've got a bunch of Heisman Trophy winners, um, or at least, uh, uh, yeah. Mark, did Mark Ingram win it too? I can't remember. I think yes. Mark Ingram might have won it yes. too. Yeah. And so they, so you're competing against that. And so I, that's a that's a good thing for him. And the thing is, you mentioned that Notre Dame game. That was Trevor Lawrence's big national showcase in the regular season. All eyes were on that game, and he had to miss it because of COVID. And, and his backup, by the way, true freshman DJ Uyunglele, uh, is that's a perishable skill. You got to practice that. Um, he went out and threw for over 400 yards. He actually did a really good job. It was the the defense of the running game that that cost Clemson that game. It was not the passing attack. But point is that Trevor lost that opportunity. This Florida State game, TC was scheduled to be played on ABC. So the return of Trevor Lawrence was going to be an ABC showcase national television game. And no, because at the last minute, uh, Florida State pulled out. Now, in fairness to Florida State, they've had COVID issues of their own, including their head coach testing positive for COVID and had to step away for a couple of weeks. So they, they are 
fully sensitive to what happens when COVID starts to get into your program. So, so, but from a Clemson standpoint, yeah, I can see where they're really steamed because now, uh, you know, Kyle Trask in the time that, that Trevor Lawrence has been out, Kyle Trask, the Florida quarterback has been lighting it up. Similar stats to Trevor in a lot of ways per game, but he's got a lot more touchdowns than Trevor does. And Mac Jones of Alabama has lit it up as well. That's his primary competition for that top spot. Meantime, he's been sitting at home. Now he sits at home for another week. You touched on a few things there, and one of the things that I thought was interesting when you said that we kind of have angry dabble now where there used to be kind of the laid back, you know, the the nice guy that uh, people looked at. Do you think there might be some other ancillary reasons maybe why he was even more upset about that, and that's why he did lash out like that? For instance, the fact that the team had already traveled down there and then they canceled it. Uh, the fact that uh, it was a chance to bounce back from that L against Notre Dame in a in a name program, even though they're certainly on the downside right now, where they could certainly have probably looked really good, maybe shored up the defense, showed that the defense is better because people have been questioning that. And also the fact, too, of in the big picture thing, yeah, I'd love to go down to Florida and get a victory because Florida is such a hotbed for recruits, even though there's not fans in the stands. That's a place where you're looking at maybe getting some high school kids out of. So whenever you can play a Florida school and beat them, that's a plus for you and something that you can lean on when you go down there to try to get some of these kids to come up to Clemson. Yeah, all those things were probably on his mind. You made some really good points. Let me just address one of them, and that is the expense of traveling down there. Dabo mentioned a couple of times that it was a $300,000 travel expense bill to go down to Tallahassee only to find out at the last second that, no, they're not going to play. And from Dabo's point of view, they followed all of the protocols. They didn't do anything different from what the CDC and the ACC recommend happen. Guy has symptoms. You pull him out. He's got a negative test. He's got another negative test. You practice him, you know, limited practice with distancing. Um, There's no positive stuff yet. When you get the positive test, you pull them aside, but nobody else that tested at the same time he did had a positive test. They were all negative in the same test that that guy tested positive, as far as I know. And so from Dabo's standpoint, that $300,000 should not have been wasted. And so they just had to come on back. And so that is something that's huge, especially now with so many teams struggling uh, in the COVID era with actually not so many teams, every team with finances. Um, you know, Tennessee – asked their coaches to take a a cut in pay, a temporary cut in pay. The head coach already had one built into his new contract uh, for this, you know, kind of thing. But eight assistant football coaches for the Tennessee Volunteers said, nope, we're not taking a cut in pay. We have a contract. You're going to pay us what you owe us, right? Well, that's Tennessee with SEC money asking a special teams coach to give a little bit of money back, right? And so everybody is struggling right now into – from Dabo's standpoint, you have $300,000 that you spend just to take a plane ride to nowhere. That's got to gall him a little bit. Well, you know, Trevor, there are some authority figures out there that uh, have a message for Dabo Sweeney. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> you said it. I didn't. You said it. Sergeant Hulka! Remember, Sergeant Hulka, he's the big toe. Don't you forget that. He is our big toe. <laughs> That's exactly right. He hey, is- and come to find out, UCLA's new backup quarterback, uh, our Tolemus or something. Chase Artolemus. He's the guy behind Jace Griffin. And I thought about that. I thought he could be their big toe if he uh, if he ends up having to go in and play against Oregon. Um, and so Francis. I'm 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 spacing his last name, but the guy the guy's a fantastic story. Walk on and uh, more confidence than uh, 
Tom Brady. So he's a, he, I hope he gets a chance at some point. There he is. All right. To be their big toe. And, and, and the thing is, Trevor Maddich, he's, he's on these names. I mean, it took me about three years to get Tunga Viola. I, st- I just got that down, and then you're asking me to get DJ Wetz's name. That's going to take me at least another year. <laughs> DJ Wetz's name. Yep, that's uh, pretty strong right there. <laughs> there like he is Trevor Maddich, ESPN, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. Nobody breaks it down like Trevor. All right, Trevor, we talked about this before. Seven games last Saturday postponed. Eight canceled due to COVID. Seriously, how can we expect any bowl games at this point in time? How are we going to handle the selection of bowl games and even the playoff right now? Because every week it seems like we're just getting further and further away from any normalcy. Yeah, bowl games are just going to have to roll the dice, I think, the ones that choose to do it. Because if a team can't go, they're probably not going to postpone the bowl game, although maybe, maybe they'll try. But, I mean, they're at the mercy of COVID protocols being met. And at the last minute, you may have to cancel it. Uh, the, the playoff selection committee has already sort of talked about what they might do about that. Heather Dinich uh, of ESPN talked with Bill Hancock, who's the head of the, the playoff stuff. He's the grand poobah. Uh, and he said that there are no plans to postpone uh, the playoff, but there are also – no plans to have a replacement team. So if you've got four teams in the semifinals and all of a sudden the week of one team goes down with COVID stuff that they can't play, well, they're not planning on bringing in the next one and jumping over and having them play instead. And so the suggestion is that they would then postpone. But the irony is, and this would work for any other bowl game if they choose to do it. I, don't, I haven't heard that they would, but it would work. The irony is, is that the very COVID problem that might cause a postponement of the college football playoff games would also make it easier for the playoff games to be postponed because you wouldn't have an issue with scheduling conflicts with the stadiums. I mean, Bruce Springsteen is not going to be doing a concert at the Rose Bowl anytime soon. You don't have 100,000 fans that are going to pour into town. Some of them with tickets to go to the game, some of them just a party nearby because they're not going for the most part. So you don't have to deal with that issue with all the people having to to change all their plans and stuff like that. You can move the game 15 times, and it's not going to affect very many fans. And so all these things make it more likely that a postponement could work. But, again, the danger you would have is if you postpone it once, then you might have to postpone it four times. And the big problem would be for teams who then have to just continue to practice and practice and practice and practice, although I'm sure they, they would prefer to do that than to pull out. So everything right now is still up in the air. You mentioned the bowl games. You know, you may have a, you know, a December 24th bowl game, postponed four days uh, or a week, and then just replayed at that time as possible. I can't imagine that any of the teams are going to go in the week before the game and enjoy the city like you would normally have. You know, you go to the Hawaii Bowl, you spend a week in Hawaii. It's fantastic. Something tells me that uh, there'll be very little of that going on. So we'll see. You know, it's, it's just crazy COVID stuff. I'm just impressed that we got an actual Grant Poobah reference on this program. Thank you, Preston. Yeah! <laughs> oh, look at you. You are ready with the buttons. That's my man Nunchuck over there. There you go. And one of Frank's all-time favorite, too. You got to love Fred Flintstone. Oh, for sure, definitely. So, uh, But you, you mentioned a couple of things, and, of course, the bowl games are just around the corner now, getting closer and closer. When it comes to the championship series, there's been a lot of talk and things about what's going to happen with that if a team has COVID issues and that. But 
Is there a possibility that this could be the year, even if they don't do it permanently, that maybe they do expand it to eight teams to make sure there's more teams there? Or is it possible that even though they've kind of mentioned where the sites are going to be, that they could amend that if they thought it would be safer and that we could see a a bowl championship series in a bubble-type situation? All those things are possible. The committee has indicated that they, they do not want to make changes to the number of teams this year, and that does make sense on a lot of levels. One is, one of the reasons for all the consternation, especially with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, uh, postponing until spring and then coming back in to pick up to be eligible for this round of, of playoffs was safety to the players. And I don't think they'd be able to have a case that they have the first priority of keeping the players as safe as possible from COVID and then say, yeah, but you know what? We Let's have some extra playoff games thrown in that weren't originally scheduled because guess what? You know, we can make a lot more money. That's how it would be perceived. And really, the money is so needed right now, so needed in college football to have an extra round of playoff games. But I don't think that they could do it, even if they wanted to do it for that reason. Trevor, real quick, I want to touch on what we did see last weekend. Ohio State did not seem overly impressive. Were they exposed by Indiana and this game being a lot closer than what we thought? And what will coaches take away when they look at that game tape like you do? That's a great question. The offense of Ohio State not exposed. They had over 600 yards in a victory. Although uh, Justin Fields, let's face the thing, Justin Fields, their quarterback, did throw three really super ugly, unnecessary interceptions that were all his fault. But you could see him lying on his back on the ground after the third one, running through his mind what the coach was going to tell him. Right, teachable moments that do not reflect on Justin Fields. They just, hey, buddy. Just do it right. Don't try to do too much. Offense is fine. Defense, though, this is what you're talking about, I think, TC. Yep. Defense got lit up in the passing game. 491 yards by Michael Penix Jr., quarterback of Indiana. And it, they didn't cover well from a scheme standpoint. The pick plays and other stuff that people will do, they have to be better at that. And when they did have tight coverage, when the ball came down, too often it was the Indiana receiver who won the fight for the ball. Even Ty, Ty Freifogel, for goodness sake, even when he was being interfered with, would catch the ball and run off for a touchdown, right? So this is something that was a bit of a concern in the three games prior to that. But against Indiana, against a real team that could actually throw, it was a real problem. So what they need to see and what I think the college football world needs to see in the committee is, is, is this who they are or was this just an anomaly? And what they do over the course of the next couple of games is going to be really important to how the committee will view them. With Ohio State's defense getting exposed like that, but then Wisconsin losing to Northwestern, is Ohio State still the clear-cut winner of the Big Ten? And I mean, because a lot of people say the only thing that can beat them there is themselves. Or are there other teams that maybe are better than we thought they would be or could be? Well, don't sleep on the fighting Reese Davises of Northwestern. <laughs> this is they, true. They, uh, Joey Galloway of ESPN said uh, they're just a bunch of Reese Davises, real smart, but maybe not that athletic. They put that up on the bulletin board and used that as motivation. Then their coach mentioned that post game and called out Joey for it. It's really funny. Uh, it's really good stuff. But the but Northwestern has one of the best defenses, one of the better defenses in the country, maybe the best defense right now in the Big Ten. Their offense is efficient, certainly good enough to take advantage of the Ohio State secondary. So while Ohio State has more top to bottom talent than Northwestern, watch out for the Wildcats because they very well could force their way in the front door of the party. They'll be favored in the next two or three games, like it's three. And then it's the one game playing against Ohio State probably for the championship. And if they're undefeated, they're in. 
Trevor, I want to get one NFL takeaway before we let you go because your former alum uh, over at BYU, Taysom Hill, very, very impressive getting the start. I'm glad Sean Payton gave him the start yesterday as the Saints defeated the Falcons. Give me your take on Taysom Hill and riding this thing out for as long as he can. Well, dude is 30 years old, right? Gets yep. his first start, wins it, and does well. He completed like 78% of his passes. Uh, he showed a lot of accuracy and timing. He really showed that he was doing stuff. And it reminded me a lot of Steve Young, not to say that he's a future Hall of Famer, but that Steve sat behind Joe Montana until he was in his 30s. And when he stepped in, he was ready. Now, Drew Brees will probably be back in a few weeks, and the next several games for the Saints are winnable games. I mean, they've got Denver, who's, I think, four and six right now. Then they've got Atlanta again. And then they've got the Eagles, who have only won three games uh, up to this point. And so it looks like Taysom might have a little bit of a run while Drew is healing with an opportunity to do really, really well. But I tell you, hats off to that kid who is known outside of that complex for being their goal line quarterback and kickoff coverage ace. Went in and played quarterback and looks like he'd been doing it all his life, which is funny because he kind of has been. He has, exactly, and had a great career at BYU. All right, my friend, we appreciate the knowledge, appreciate the time, as always. And again, uh, some some great one-liners from you as well, too. Lighten up, Francis. (laughs) He is our big toe. He is our big toe. He's Trevor Match, and of course, you can catch him on ESPN Fridays at Sports Center. And now we've got to tune in for your picks as well. And by the way, it is Chase Artopius. I knew Walk on backup quarterback at UCLA and watch him. He'll be fun when he gets in there. Uh, the linguistist that Trevor Maddich is. There he is. Yes. Chase Artopius. Right. Watch for the good. There you go. <laughs> All right, my man. Be good. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, have a great Thanksgiving as well, too. Thanks. You guys, too. Take care. There he is. Trevor Maddich, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. You can catch him on ESPN and just about every week with us here. Appreciate him taking the time, making the time, as always, breaking down college football and the NFL like nobody else. And the man who will be linked to the trivia question of who scored the very first Raider touchdown at Allegiant Stadium is our guest today and a kid that I actually saw play in Green Bay, the pride of Bayport High School, and now the starting fullback of your Las Vegas Raiders, Alec Ingle. Alec, how you doing? Good. That's a heck of an introduction right there. I, I, that was, uh, it was at least four sentences. That's, that's pretty impressive. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, guys from Green Bay, we can put some things together. You know, we can do that. But, uh, hey, <laughs> I you, like it. you know, I've been wanting to, to chat with you for quite some time, and I know you're in your second season with the Raiders. But like I said, always great to talk to a, a, a fellow Green Bay guy. But many people probably don't know this, but in high school, you were a quarterback, and you could actually spin it, too. I mean, this guy threw for over 2,800 yards. I think it was 28 touchdowns, but you were more of a running quarterback. You ran for 4,200 yards, and I think like 61 touchdowns. That's amazing, incredible. Do you miss playing quarterback at all? A hundred percent. I mean, I think going through the recruiting process uh, late into the high school, um, you know, I, I had a lot of interest, mid-major quarterback stuff, um, few offers to go play D1. And, um, you know, at that point where it was Wisconsin as an athlete and never playing quarterback again or, um, you know, go give it a shot at Northern Illinois, uh, try and be the next Jordan Lynch out there, try and run it, throw it, all that stuff. Um, you know, once once I had hung up that little part of me right there, it's, it's been – you know, there's a little hole in my heart, but uh, no, I think I'm I'm good where I'm at. I love playing fullback. I love the physicality of it. So 
Uh, it, it's a double-edged sword for sure. And that reminds me, but I remember your sophomore year, you actually had, I think it was a 95-yard touchdown run, and it was called back due to a penalty. You came back, seemed maybe a little gassed in the huddle. Next play, they backed it up you know, half the distance to the goal, and you ran for 97 and a half yards for a touchdown. Must have been uh, against Green Bay West. 95-yarder, called back, you come back and you run for 97 to the house. That's incredible, man. Yeah, that was my first varsity game against uh, De Pere, East De Pere. Okay, um, and they were good. So yeah, they were was, pretty good. <laughs> they were. It was there was a little trash talk. You know, we didn't know who was going to win that game, and I ended up getting to clean up some garbage time at quarterback and uh, made made the most of it on those two runs. You mentioned about the possibility of going to Northern Illinois, being the next Jordan Lynch as a quarterback. You did go to Wisconsin, like you mentioned, not really knowing what position you were going to play. I'm curious, talk about the, that decision and the conversation you had with head coach Paul Christ at that time when you decided to go to Wisconsin. Yeah, I think just it was a new coaching staff, and they didn't exactly know, you know who they were inheriting and all that stuff. Uh, they were at Pitt, and he's like, you know, we have a, we have a thought that you know linebacker might be your thing. We're going to start you out there, but he's like, I, I do see a little bit of James Conner in you when he was over at Pitt, so that guy ended up going to running back. You never know you know, what could happen. So from that point on, they're, they're really open with me about that and just understanding that showing up and being a coachable football player was going to get me as far as I could go. Um, I put a lot of trust into that, that coaching staff to kind of just figure out a spot for me and, and just play as, as good a football as I could be. And, you know, it went from linebacker then – to running back week three against Hawaii um, started my career out at, at uh, running back sorry week four and then the next year uh, went over to fullback and then the rest is history there so uh, just bouncing around and knowing that I need to be coachable I, I learned a lot of lessons there at Wisconsin just moving positions just being a team player and, and figuring out that whole process for me well you went undrafted was there some thought that you were going to have to get a another job or a real job or doing something else the moment that uh, you feel okay I, I i may not go to the nfl yeah i mean I, so my junior year finishes up and I, I was back up my junior year at fullback and i uh, i actually went through you know a whole lot of vetting a whole lot of job search and um i ended up getting a job offer to sell uh, oracle software um like computer software um <laughs> so i took a job out in boston like i was you know, if football didn't work out for me, my, going into my senior year, if I got hurt, if, if the season didn't go perfectly as planned, uh, I had that job kind of waiting for me out there. Um, and it was just kind of a wait and see deal. So even through uh, training camp my rookie year, uh, the preseason, you know, if I had gotten cut, you know, I, I probably would be, you know, out selling insurance. But, you know, thankfully I, I made the team and, and everything really worked out from there. We're visiting with Alec Ingold, the fullback for the Las Vegas Raiders, scored the very first touchdown at Allegiant Stadium for the Silver and Black on Monday night. So you got the call from John Gruden. You got the invite to come to training camp. We're talking about last year, of course. How confident were you that this thing was going to work out with the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, I think I had to go into it with supreme confidence. You know, we talk about that job, and some people might say that sounds like half foot in, half foot out, but... Um, really, I think it just freed myself to just yeah, give it everything I had, uh, play relentlessly, be consistent, and, and just be the best version of myself every single day when I, I woke up. So, you know, five months of sleeping in a hotel with uh, Foster Morrow and just grinding it out in Oakland, California, it, it just kind of going through that whole OTA process into training camp in Napa. I was, you know, playing some of the best ball I've ever played and 
just with the most effort and the most you know coachable I could be. Some of the lessons I learned early on at, at Wisconsin, and um, really just gave it my best shot and left left it up to the coaches to make that decision. And once they you know pulled the trigger on, on my name and you know I make the team, then right there from from the start of the season, you know I didn't I didn't play my best ball uh, early on in the season, but I was definitely given that effort and uh, was really ready for whatever and trying to just improve every single day. Now that relationship with Coach Gruden actually started at the Senior Bowl, I believe, and then also Josh Jacobs was there, the running back from Alabama. How key was was that trip in participating in those workouts and getting ready for the Senior Bowl under Gruden and meeting Josh Jacobs? Did you realize at that point in time that, that hey, this is going to be a key element for me to get to the NFL? Yeah, just getting in front of that coaching staff at the senior bowl was huge. I, I met Josh at the combine, actually. I think he was a junior, but, um, no, uh, coach Gruden meeting him there, meeting the whole staff and just understanding what it took to, to be a football player there. And, um, just showing the willingness that I wanted to get better. Uh, I knew I wasn't an NFL quality fullback yet and showing the willingness that I'm going to do whatever it takes to kind of be your guy was, was really my mission there. And I think that's what led to that, phone call uh, day three of the draft after going undrafted and and solidifying that relationship and knowing that you know regardless of getting drafted or not you know my goal was to be a heck of a, a fullback for for coach Gruden in this this offense it wasn't to get drafted or not get drafted now we know Gruden has those Green Bay ties as well too and he's still fond of Green Bay I'm sure that had to come up uh, does he ever uh, talk about his days in Green Bay Do you guys ever chat about that uh, we did a lot uh, last year just when he was a coach out there, position coach. And um, I just let him know that, you know, those teams growing up, you know, that's, they really built a foundation for success in Green Bay. And that's kind of what gave me the love for football, watching Donald Driver and Amon Green, Will Henderson, Brett Favre. You know, I, I grew up, you know, loving to watch all those, all those guys. And we got to watch a lot of winning seasons at Green Bay. So uh, I knew he was, uh, that coaching staff that he was a part of was a huge reason for that. All right, Alec Ingold, fullback of the Raiders, joins us. Let's talk about the transition from Oakland to Vegas. Obviously, the cities and the stadiums are completely different. Uh, how was that uh, last year for you handling being in the middle of that situation? You're a rookie, but knowing that the Raiders are leaving Oakland, you know, fans are in the stands, you have to deal with that, and then knowing that, hey, you're going to be in Las Vegas a year later. I think it was a huge blessing to be a part of the Oakland Raiders, be a part of that last year. Uh, to be able to live in Oakland and feel the the history and, and the importance of what that this franchise is, and uh, to be able to understand that and be a part of that, to be able to play in the Coliseum, walk the same halls as all those greats that have played, I feel like it gives a lot of us that, that we're able to be a part of that team a, a sense of the toughness, the grit, the determination it, it takes to be a Raider, and then to kind of bring that to Las Vegas and understand that we can put our own stamp on that, but understanding the greats that came before us i think that last year in oakland was was historic and i think it was really something to that that i will never forget i'm very thankful for all right you guys are 2-0 and right now coming off the big victory against the saints on monday night here what have you felt have been the keys to these two victories two impressive victories so far i think you know being able to adjust on offense big stops on defense uh playing complimentary football feeding off of one another and and obviously, you know, under center, Derek is doing a great job getting Josh and our O-line, our strengths of our offense into good looks. And uh, like I said, just being able to adjust, you know, no one has an ego on this team. And just being able to understand that you're, you're able to play your role whenever your number gets called. 
uh, do what you're supposed to do and do your job and, and know that when we're making adjustments, when we're trying to you know, figure out how to move the ball down the field and, and get into the end zone, um, your role is going to play a part in it at some point or another. So just understanding the importance of each and every play and just staying on schedule has been huge for our offense and, and then our defense being able to make those key stops. Let's talk about that first touchdown that you scored with the Raiders in Allegiant Stadium there. Did you realize, you must have realized at that point in time when you got in the end zone that, hey, history was in the making. Kind of take us through that and how you felt afterwards. Uh, I think, you know, once you catch the ball and you get into the end zone, you want to celebrate with teammates. So that's exactly what I did. It just turn around, be with my guys. And then, you know, once we're heading off to the sideline, got the ball back. Uh, and, and you're sitting down there for a little bit, that's when it kind of sinks in, like, what history just happened, and I had to get ready to run down on kickoff the very next next play. So, thankfully, uh, Coach Visacha gave me that playoff. But, uh, no, just understanding that, you know, it was an important part of the game, but, um, you know, you, you still had to be locked in and, and ready for the rest of the game. So, it, it was a little bit of uh, remin- uh, not reminiscent, but understand where you're at in the moment and then, tying it right back into playing some ball. And I'm sure you're, you've heard it quite a bit, and of course I mentioned it too, you know, being the you know, trivia answer of the first touchdown at Legion Stadium. How does that sit with you? Uh, I think it's cool, um, but hopefully that's not all I'm known for out here in Vegas. So. Right. <laughs> we're, we're, it's, it's a solid start, so let, let's just hope that uh, Josh and I can do some damage here for a while. All right. Speaking of damage, uh, we look at the Patriots this weekend coming up on Sunday. Offensively, what do you guys feel that you can do well against them, especially that Belichick defense? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think the Belichick defense is, is spot on. They're going to confuse us a lot and uh, try and give us a lot of different looks. So being able to be confident in our rules uh, and, and being able to play football fast, I think, will be huge for us. You know, we got a good game plan, so it's all about just trusting, trusting the rules and the looks that they're going to give us and being able to adjust on the fly. So I think it's going to be something where they're going to give us something on film that we haven't seen yet, and however we're going to deal with it is how we're going to play this game uh, Sunday. So I think it's, it's going to be a lot of above the shoulders, and hopefully we can execute when the time comes. All right, looking forward to that on Sunday. The Raiders taking on the Patriots in Foxborough. All right, Alex, since you've been here in Vegas, obviously it is much different than Oakland. It's different than Green Bay. Uh, give us your thoughts on, on living in Las Vegas. You've been here now for, I guess, what, pretty much uh, the last five or six months or so. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. I think there's a lot of elbow space, <laughs> a lot of room to move around, and just being here with my girlfriend, my dog now, it, it's, it's nice though. Moving in uh, during these tough times is obviously challenging, but I think this community has been able to uh, absolutely crush it with um, just handing handing out a a lending hand. And I've been trying to give back as much as I can into the community and kind of give back to to all of the kind gestures that people have been giving out to me. So just understand what this community is all about, helping each other. I think it's been really cool. Um, You know, Vegas is definitely a, a community that's, taking us in and I you know we're, we're gonna do all we can in the community but then on the field to kind of emulate what you know toughness and togetherness and unity this this community is showing all right so I'm a big food guy we talk a lot about food here on on this show and I know you've got to be a food guy too coming from Green Bay here what's your favorite food <laughs> spot that you've kind of fell in love with here so far man we, we got uh, Mexican that wants flaming fajitas oh. that is smacking <laughs> 
I think uh, I was there know, last night. It's always I was there last night. You, you, yeah, I, I order that food and then I know I know I have leftovers. You know what I'm saying? Like you're gonna have a solid amount of food left in the fridge. Uh, it, it's a good spot for sure. See, now we we do actually have people that listen in Green Bay. So, what are we gonna go with here? <laughs> are we going with Juan's flaming fajitas or margaritas in Green Bay? Yeah, I think I think we'll we'll get them. Yeah, we'll got either we can get one up there or whenever they come out here. <laughs> Uh, we got to get them off the strip and, and get them to want. There you go. My guy, Tim Keene, who owns Margarita, is there. He's probably listening today. So there you go. There's a shout out there. Townline Pub or Culver's, though, right? <laughs> Respect to those guys, too. I know you spent some time at both of those spots. The, that's a little comfort food now. So don't don't get it twisted. That's that's some good food. You got Townline that right. And doozies. That, that's big time right there. You got that right. I'm not going to argue with you, my friend. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. <laughs> All right. Knowing the owners over at Townline, too, as well. So shout out to the loot keys and people over there. Hey, Alec, it's great chatting with you, man. Uh, congratulations again, the success that you've had. Congratulations on the TD on Monday night. Good luck going forward. And we look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Awesome. Thank you.